and welcome to Mastering Dungeons. I am one of your two usual hosts, Teos Abadia. Sean Merwin is currently in the maw of a really dangerous monster, and as soon as he's done inspecting it and capturing its stat block accurately, he'll come back to our realm and record podcasts again. But that is our luck because I am joined today by Mario Ortegon. Hello, Mario. Hi, thank you for having me, and thank you for saying my name correctly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's easier yeah. for me. Um, so you're known as Eduardias on Twitter and Twitch. You are an amazing designer. Thank I you. know this because I've seen your work uh, before a lot of people ever got to see work. Um, you're also an excellent DM and streamer. Uh, your work recently appeared, I, th I think this is your debut, if, correct me if I'm wrong, in Arcadia, the awesome magazine by MCDM for fifth edition. It is. It is my debut after, you know, working for a year in many other projects that I can talk about. This is the first one that's out and it's, it's, it's very <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Sweet. Well, I'm looking forward to a lot of it. We're going to talk later uh, about your work. We'll look at the Arcadia article and, uh, and yeah, I'm excited to talk about that. But we will start with some news. Um, this is going to feel like the Kickstarter review episode. And I didn't mean it to be that way, nor did Sean, but just there's a lot of news about Kickstarter. So. Um, but the first item is not, and that is that both Dungeons & Dragons and Baldman Games have sent out surveys. The Baldman Games one, very easy. Highly recommend you do it. It's all about Winter Fantasy. Uh, link is in our show notes. Winter Fantasy will be February 2nd to 6th of next year. I'm going to be there, uh, pretty sure. And it is uh, also going to have an online component. It requires proof of vaccination. Masks may be required. Be required. That's one of the questions that's in the survey. It also asks about the types of games you're interested in playing. Um, Mario, uh, have you been to a U.S. convention yet? I've been to PAX. Oh, yeah, PAX. but, um, yeah. you know, I've heard you talk about Winter Fantasy. And, you know, I think... It, I think the first time we met at PAX, you mentioned that it was your favorite convention. And then, uh, yeah. you know, the year that I was planning on going, the world just exploded. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I, it's good well, that it's back, uh, you know, in person this year, I, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I think as it starts getting a little safer, these things become available. And it's, and it's the question of... of how uh you know everybody feels about it with with vaccination being required i feel a lot better about it um at, at we were at game hole con sean and i and mask wearing was perfect and vaccination was required so that made me really happy uh, i'm all for masks i didn't find that it hurt play at all so I, I hope that winter fantasy will use masks it'll make me feel more comfortable we'll see but at least vaccination is a good start and 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 we'll see what the numbers look like they're getting better so yeah it's awesome that they're i mean venturing you know, to just uh, go ahead and do it and see how how it is. Um, several, like, uh, well, not several. I mean, specifically one uh, convention that I was looking for, uh, PAX South, which is the one in Texas that is the most most accessible ones to us. Uh, it got shut down. Um, yeah, yeah, it's gone, and they're not. Doing yeah, so it's it's good to see down. folks, you know, just trying stuff out and trying to keep it alive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so another survey that folks can take is the Dungeons & Dragons survey. Uh, it was on their Twitter, and we've got a link here to it as well. It's also, if you go in the link that you may have received, if you subscribe to their newsletter, you'll get an email. And that link has a bunch of different languages available. Um, I, I took it in English. What about you, Mario? Did you? I took it in Spanish, yeah, because I, you know, I'm, I'm basically just trying to add to the numbers to make... Watsi well, yeah. see that we're out here <laughs> but uh, uh <laughs> no but th th that's actually i mean it's really exciting because they've finally started to to like you know put out content in spanish and reach out to creators in spanish and, and it's, it's starting to to look like they're they're trying to uh you know to reach this market um I, yeah we can order the books yeah yeah at our local gaming store yeah. and I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, mine have, I, I don't have my books yet, but they've been ordered by my local store right. and they're, hopefully they'll let me know soon. Yeah. The dream here in Mexico would be for them to be able to be just ordered from Amazon, like exactly the same, the, the way you can uh, order, you know, the regular books, uh, because in Mexico, yeah. we don't have a lot of, uh, 
you know, mm. stores, like specialized stores. Yeah. Um, so that would be kind of like, you know, removing a barrier. Um, but, you know, just yeah. b- them being available at stores is also, I mean, people who can cross the border or have family there. I mean, they have it more accessible. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious how easy it is. So, so like I, and what part of it is the, the information isn't out there, which is a problem, but like I went to my local gaming store and I said, can you order these? And they said, what are you talking about? And then I gave them the actual codes and they're like, oh yeah, okay, oh. we can order these. Um, but they didn't just know. And so I'm curious, like, can you go to like, I don't know, the equivalent of a Barnes and Noble right. in Mexico and say like, here are the codes, order this. Can you order this? Yeah. You know, does it just work like a normal book? I don't maybe, know. Maybe, yeah. That's maybe that's worth looking into. I mean, we we do have I mean, in the city that I live in at least, there are, you know, pretty big book uh chains, I guess, that sort of like Barnes and Noble. So um mm-hmm. you know, you just That'd be an Yeah, case. you just gave me an idea. I'll I'm gonna try to reach out to them. Yeah. But then, then the thing is, well, how do you get that news out to everybody, yeah. right? Including the store, because if the store doesn't right. know, you know, so it's it, yeah. There's a lot there, but I, I agree with you. Yeah. It's nice to see this, you know, getting some some energy behind it, and yeah, um, yeah. awesome. So this survey, it has a bunch of questions. It has the usual stuff like, what's your favorite setting? Uh, your favorite, you know, races, all that kind of stuff. Classes. Then it asks about how often you DM and play. Um, how you learned about the game and about 5e. And then I asked some interesting questions about which books you own and in what format. So digital versus paper kind of thing. And even asks you whether their partners, D&D Beyond, Roll20, and Fantasy Grounds, only those three, each one it asks you to say, are they rising, falling, or holding steady? Yep. (laughs) I thought that was a really (laughs) strange set of questions. Yeah, I I guess... I don't know. Is it is it just for them to get a like to gauge what people believe the products look like on other platforms, or because the, the, there are rumors of them just right trying to launch their own thing, right? So right, yeah. I think that's the question, right? Is are they? Uh, and, and I think Sean liked to say like, there's always the difference between people at Wizards who are just designing, right, and. And then there are people who are managers of those. And then there are the executives above that. And all of those folks can have a different opinion, right? And a different answer to this question. Or some of those may not know anything. They're just doing their work. Uh, But my guess is that there are some folks up there at the top that see this question, the answer to this question can be the grounds by which you decide to change your agreements, right? And, And that's where it gets dangerous because surveys they don't produce the best data right and and i would hate for somebody to who just you know if you happen to use one platform or another and so you mark the other one as you think it's fine right. like well, you know what do you know right so i it's it's a it's a i don't know i worry about what this indicates well, yeah it's, it's also like um does it mention all i, I just can does it mention all three and ask you to rank all three it's, you're not ranking them against each other. You're you're for each one saying like say D and D beyond. Is it rising, falling, or holding steady? And I don't remember if those are the exact right. terms, but that's the idea, right? Is is it, are they yeah, doing yeah. well or or poorly and or or the same as always? Yeah, uh, yeah because maybe give me bad the, the the thing that you mentioned. I think people usually go to one pl- to one platform and kind of like stick to it, right? Because you know it's an it's an investment to move from one to the other. Um, so I could yeah. see, you know, that kind of like tribalism of, oh, my platform, you know, I'm going to rank it higher and the others I'm going to rank it lower just because. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know what they're going to do with that. Yeah, really, really interesting. Um, unrelated news, uh, the Paizo Union, we talked about it. I think the last time that Sean and I talked about it was when we were at GameholeCon recording. Um, and back then that was just before it was recognized. So just for anybody who missed the news, uh, Paizo has recognized the union and now they're in the negotiation phase where they figure out how to work together and what people should be paid and what kind of levels and so on. So that it's all fair. So that's good. We look forward to hearing more of that. Yeah. It's groundbreaking. Um, and now, yeah. Now some sadder news, which is the finale of the C team. This is the acquisitions incorporated, show that um, started as a sort of complement to the uh, main stage show. This was the C team, sort of the idea of a B team or C team. 
And this is a show that has been a real fan favorite for a lot of us. Uh, It's going to end November 17th at 4 p.m. You can see the last episode, which is done live, is my understanding. Um, And uh, I'm sure it's going to be very emotional for for the players. The players have a very... One of those groups who just see a real obvious chemistry when they play together. And it's it's been a lot of years. So I think that's going to be a really interesting final episode. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Both looking forward to it and dreading it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think you mentioned... um you know, th- this particular group, uh, it-, it was both their kind of like shenanigans group. And also, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it-, it had the unique DMing style of, of Jerry, which, um, yeah. I mean, will be, I-, I don't know if he's doing anything else, but if, if he, if he's not, he- he'll, he'll, it'll be missed. Right. Because it's kind of yeah. unique. I-, I sure hope yeah. so. I have to believe they have something planned and that we'll see, you know, most or all of them together in some way, but, but still, every time there's a change, you know, that's still a lot, right. so we'll see. But yeah, I, I love the way Jerry just speaks and DMs is just, I uh, mean, you know, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, his brain is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now let's get into Kickstarter land. I'll try to go through these pretty quickly. Uh, the first is the in- EN World Level Up Kickstarter just ended, and it ended almost a million dollars, which is really impressive. Uh, and as usual for EN World Morris Kickstarters, the moment it ended, he sent everybody their PDFs, which is a kind of neat way yeah. to do it. Uh, you know that when you back it, you're getting it. Um, the early design has seen a lot of praise because it deliberately tries to sort of tweak 5th edition for what players and DMs have been saying they'd like to see. And it makes me think about, you know, gee, is this, how different is this or how similar is this to what we might see with the revised edition that Wizards has been talking about doing, right? A 5.5 or a 6E. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Also, like, the, um, you know, if it'll, well, I I guess, I I don't know if he's mentioned this before, but like if if 5E changes dramatically between now and when they apply those changes, you know, are they going to go and, and just move things around or is this what it is once it's out? Yeah. yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. I'm very curious. And, and, and it is interesting for third party publishers, how they'll have to adapt to this, adapt to this landscape, right? What do you do yeah. with all of your, I mean, MCDM, anybody, right? To what extent do you do that and there's always the risk if it changes too much will some publishers go like okay i'm going to do something right. else yeah 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 so hopefully it's done in a way that energizes everybody and gets people motivated so far everything we've seen that are tweaks like monster stat blocks those are not a big deal if you don't right. have them and not too hard to add so we'll see. yeah i hope so i mean I, I hope it's just what you mentioned and also like bringing all of the quality of life things that they've introduced in tasha's into the core game uh to me that would be the dream, but I don't know if they've noticed another need that yeah. needs to be covered, right? Yeah, we'll yeah. see. Um, so, Shotguns and Sorcery is a Kickstarter that is currently live. You have until November 16th, so when you hear this, you'll just have a few days. Uh, this was something that Sean and I both got to play the fifth edition version of, uh, which is what's being kickstarted when we were at Game Hole. Very fun game. It's got a neat, uh, focused city campaign where everybody is in this one dragon city surrounded by zombies. So there's sort of been a zombie apocalypse that a necromancer caused. And you are in this city, and the city is very stratified. And you could say it's unfair under the rule of the dragon and how certain classes control things. But how do you mount a rebellion when your city's surrounded by zombies? And to add to this, not only has it got this sort of noir feel, but it also has pulp aspects with shotguns and other weapons. Um, and I was really pleased when I played it. Every character had neat aspects that tied them into the setting. So, like, my rogue had the ability not only to shoot a shotgun for a ton of damage, but I could also uh, create, like, Molotov cocktails and other oh, improvised cool. explosives as sort of my class feature. Yeah. So This is my jam. Highly recommended. And it's November 16th. Another sort of pulpy setting is Plain Gia. Uh, and this is a Kickstarter by Atlas Games. Um, Sean and I were sent a full preview, very cool setting, very interesting possibilities for creating compelling campaigns in a primeval setting. So this is like dinosaurs, things like that. In fact, almost like, you know, what if you were cavemen, right? Um, 
And there are a number of ways I can think of running this campaign that would be really neat. This ends November 18th. So again, very little time to check it out and back this it. This one, I saw something very interesting, which was, uh, I think it presents kind of like the elves and dwarves and all of the, you know, fantasy races at their origins. So, yeah. you know, it looks like if you're going to see elves, they're going to be like super, like hyper fantasy elves, right? right? Like they, the yeah. ones that still shift around and are dreamlike and stuff like that. And I think the dwarves come out of the earth, like literally. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting. The ideas that it's bringing. Yeah, it's really cool. It is that idea of like, if you went back in time, what would your campaign look right. like? Like really went back in time. Uh, and the classes are sort of that way too. Like you, you get almost proto classes that you start with. And that's kind of neat. Um, next is Pot-Bellied, Pot-Bellied, Kobold's Guide to Villains and Layers. This Kickstarter is by Jeff Stevens, prolific adventure designer, well known for super fun adventures on the DMs Guild. Really nice guy. Uh, Jeff's 5e supplement has 30 villainous NPCs and 10 unique layers to add to your game. Several of the evocative NPCs are showcased on the Kickstarter page with their art and brief descriptions. This also ends November 18th. Awesome. You know what the problem is with all of these Kickstarters? I, I wish I could uh, back them all. <laughs> Yes, that like, is exactly the yeah, problem. There's so many. And uh, cool that's things. a good segue yeah. into Reliquaries by Dwarven Forge. This is hand-painted dice thrones. And at first I thought, oh, cool, Dwarven Forge is doing something other than terrain, so I can ignore this. And then I looked at it and said, oh, I can't ignore this. <laughs> because they're like, on one hand, it sounds like, oh, okay, I don't need this. So it's like a little throne that you can put your dice on. Right. And I'm like, Whatever. I don't need that. But then I'm like, oh, it looks really cool. I mean, I kind of wouldn't mind putting one D20 on it. And then I'm like, oh, and look, this one comes with like a little dial. So I could use it as a like time tracker when there's like a pressure situation. And then this other one can be used as another type of counter. And oh, before you knew it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm backing this. Um, that's how they get really you. Good. They're like different. <laughs> yeah, that's how they get you. They're different models. Like the, the thrones or the heroes uh, are LED lit. And so there's like a dwarf that's, you know, smacking an, an anver, anvil down and a phoenix and, and they all light up. And then there are others that are lower priced um, and they come in themes like dwarf, elven, elder tor, elemental, artificer. Yeah, you have until November 19th to check this out and fall under its trap. It's beautiful. And I, I've worked with the Dwarven Forge people, so that's both a bias and me saying they're wonderful people and you should back them because they deserve it. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of wonderful people, 2C Gaming is uh, launching has, has launched their Rewards and Rarities Kickstarter. This is all about magic items and treasures from mundane to wondrous. Uh, including like revised tables for rewards um, and and guidance on how to make rewards meaningful for players and characters. There is a promo here that you can download to take a look. This one ends December 5th. Uh, Celeste Conowich is leading the project. She's been on the show before. Fantastic work. She's awesome. Another awesome person, Rich Lescaflair, is one of the fantastic designers for Alligator Alley and... They are launching Expedition from the Mysterious Peaks. This Kickstarter, in case you didn't hear it in the title, it's like Expedition to the Barrier, Spe Barrier Peaks, oh, the famous right. sci-fi. With the aliens, yeah. Gygax wrote. Yeah, so um, Alligator Alley and Rich Lescaflair are renowned for this Espergenesis sci-fi game that uses the fifth edition engine and everything is sort of feels like five E, but also feels super sci-fi. Oh. So it's really easy. If you play five E, you can literally be handed a character sheet and you can, you know, roll a D 20 immediately. Like, you know what to do. Cause it's still initiative. It's still an attack roll and it's a pistol instead of a crossbow. Right. right? Um, really easy. And, and, and you have sort of Esper powers that are magic or high tech. And so it's a very easy way of explaining how things work. And for this Kickstarter, it, is a, a kind of like the classic module. It's a bit of both things, both mundane and in sci-fi, which allows you to use just fifth edition or fully Esper Genesis or even a mix. Oh, that's cool. really yeah. cool idea. So it makes it very easy. You can uh, do it if, even if you've never purchased any of the Esper Genesis books, which are all super awesome. 
Um, so you have until December 9th for this one. I highly recommend this and rich absolutely deserves your money. So check it yeah, out. Yeah. I played Esper Genesis and it's, 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 it's great. I mean, it's awesome how far you can get with just like reflavoring everything. Everything just feels completely yeah. different. It, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very cool. I love the Esper concept and the, the different species and the, like they have a sort of version of the dragonborn that's yeah. really cool and it's really neat stuff. So leaving Kickstarter world for our last piece of news related to Adventures League, they have announced uh, in a blog post from Chris Tulak the Wild Beyond the Witchlight Adventures and sort of explained how their campaign settings work for Adventures League. And there are basically now three types of campaigns. Expansion campaigns, which have a connected storyline like Eberron Oracle War and Ravenloft Mist Hunters. Event campaigns, which are like Dreams of the Red Wizards, sort of like a storyline that's independent of actual official products. And then the adapted campaigns, which is your uh, how you take a published adventure and play it. So like for the Witchlight campaign. Um, so those blog co posts, which we have no, uh, show links in our show notes too, those blog posts break down what adventures are available um, and including free adventures. So you can go and download these adventures that let you play the beginning of the Witchlight uh, carnival scene um, with a three-hour adaptation or a two-hour adaptation called Lost Things, which is really cool. It takes the idea that you are playing your character way back when, when you first went to the carnival. Oh. And so you play essentially like a zero-level character. Oh, that's awesome. And you go on this mini carnival adventure, and then you can come back later. Right as your fully grown person and exploring it. Uh, do those products, um, is this the first time that they do this with a, with a published product, like adapted for like directly for adventure league or no? Sort of. Um, they haven't done it for a while back when it was like tyranny of dragons. Mm -hmm. So the very beginning of fifth edition, the first few adventures had a version for stores, which sort of replaced the D and D encounters program. Right. And so you could play essentially like the first chapter or two as a sort of way to, to get started. And then what people would do is they would just run the rest of the adventure right. anyway. Um, so this is sort of that way as well. Okay. Um, and in fact, if you go to like play games on the Yawning Portal site that are uh, the virtual weekends, they are running now not just these, but also the book itself. So you can just find a DM and play through different chapters of the That's game. That's awesome. I, I, I mean, I guess this will be a way to just like play test and see if you like the, the product before you, before you play it. That's uh, yeah. a good point. It's yeah. Yeah. It's not amazing. Bad. And I, I love this adventure. Uh, every, every time I, uh, you know, open it and look at it, I'm just, I, it's one of That's my so favorite beautiful. Yeah. adventures. Everything about it. Great like. design. <laughs> yep. Um, one last thing that I'll add here, which is that the, the FAQ document has been updated. It's now version 11.1. This is the document that's kind of for like more of your hardcore AL person that wants to look up special details and rules. So it's things like what happens if you have a spell that creates a permanent item or, you know, which magic items are allowed from hardback adventures. So all of that can be found in the FAQ document and all of the documents that govern adventures league play can be found uh, on the D&D website, if you just pull down and go to the main organized play page, you will find that um, all those documents there. Amazing. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> all right. So, Mario, you are our main topic. Am I? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you are. Well deserved. Um, so let's start with your origin story. Tell us about yourself and how you came to be involved in tabletop RPGs. Um, yeah, well, about myself, I am a designer and a streamer from Mexico. Um, I guess I started getting involved in in you know the, the whole actual play scene um, back in 2016. I think was the first time when we started. Uh, Sort of experiment, sort of experimenting, and and just like trying to bring in um, uh, a format that was, you know, back then it was still kind of growing in English, uh, you know, in the English world uh, on streaming. Basically, a critical role was kind of getting their stride, and uh, but 
the um, I guess Acquisitions Incorporated was uh, was already a big deal back then. They had many many yeah. years uh, of their podcast. So um, taking inspiration from that, uh, me and some friends began to sort of um, stream our own, you know, uh, game and. It started as many games do, being sort of a mess. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think the first the first episode we don't have audio for the first half, so I had to like like dub uh, what was happening uh, on voiceover. So um, yeah, uh-huh. so basically, I you know fast forward, uh, you know, a couple of years later, um, uh, people from Watsi began to notice what I was doing because back then, and this is no longer the case anymore, but back then I was, well, my channel was the only one kind of like doing actual play content in Spanish for Mexico. Um, So, you know, they started noticing what I was doing. I was started to get invited to events, brought into the community. They offered uh, me uh, a spot for a game uh, hosted on Saturdays on their channel, uh, Tres Alvas. And, um, you know, all along that journey, I was sort of creating content, both, you know, in the form of streaming and also in the form of writing for myself and for the games that I was running. I was creating a world that basically required me to sort of like think through all of this, you know, how would D&D work if I wanted to um, shape it for what I for what I want to present, which is basically this world that I made that was um, inspired by the legends that I grew up uh, listening to. Um, mm-hmm. It's called Ixalba. And, um, and yeah, so we, you know, I, I, I gradually began to release this to the world in Spanish to the audience, audience that was kind of like already following me. So it was, it was very kind of like, Oh, here's something I'm doing. It was free. I, I never sort of like expected anything to come from it. It was mostly to answer because we played these things, right? And and people would say like, yeah. "Oh, what is what is that? How did you do that monster? Or what is that class? Or what what what? You know, how how do I do this if I want to do this in my game?" So I started releasing them as you know this Google Docs that hey, here's how I did it, um, and then yeah. uh, you know from there. You know, to make a long story short, I basically started kind of like iterating of that on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually uh, I began designing. I started noticing that people were interested in the English communities that I was being brought brought into. Uh, so I started writing in English and seeing the reaction of the people. I basically learned uh, again through uh, many mm-hmm. interactions and feedback, both good and bad. Um, you know, what I was doing or how to shape what I was doing to sort of fit um, what people wanted in the, in the, you know, D&D world or category for design. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I guess eventually uh, 2020 was kind of like the, um, how do you say, like the, the, the point where everything changed for me. Uh yeah, but um, yeah. so I I started having trouble with my job, and uh, mm-hmm. basically I I opened a Patreon where I started I started publishing what I was doing um, as a way for uh, you know as a way for me to have a an additional sort of a income source while I looked for something else. Um, you know, people liked it, and uh, unbeknownst to me, some people who were looking at my stuff there were sharing it with other people <laughs> who also <laughs> liked it. And, um, and basically they brought me into some projects that, that are amazing, including Arcadia, which, uh, you know, I guess we're going to talk about it in a little bit, but um, it's, it's just been weird and, and wild and <laughs> everything has just been kind of like very uh, stumbling into things, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm loving it. Well, that's awesome. So, you know, you and I back around that time when, when, uh, when, yeah, more than a year ago, when I first, you and I started talking about maybe we do something together and you showed me this subclass 
And it's funny because I thought like, okay, I know he has great ideas because I've seen the stream. The stream has these awesome, really cool, creative yeah. concepts. I knew you were building all this. But one of the things that often happens with newer people that you know don't have like years of obvious design is they may not know how to like format things or address yeah. things so that it's a professional design. And especially when you come from another language, there can be that barrier of knowing like what is the, the English way to do this yeah. thing, right? What is the D&D language in English? Um, and when I saw your design, I was like, Oh man, like, this is so good. Like this is, this is like really, really good. And, and, and I told you that and you may not have believed me, but I was like, Oh, this is like ready. Like you could just hit publish. Like this is the language is tight. The design is tight. I, and so I, I've been telling anyone who'll listen, like, Oh, you know, you need someone to work that, you know, is good. This guy, what have they written? Well, nothing you can see yet, but trust me. <laughs> That's really funny because finally now I can say, okay, look at this article from Arcadia Magazine, and then they'll go, okay, yeah, I see that. That's great. Yeah, that is actually, it, it, was, it was very weird to me going from basically publishing stuff privately uh, to a captive audience, which already liked my stuff right it was like i'm sharing this with you i mean people were obviously you know getting into the patreon to support me because it was, i was in a difficult position so as a thanks i basically started publishing this to them so you know there were many people who were fans of the of what i was doing already but many of them were also i guess what were new to what i was doing and were only there to support which i'm really deeply appreciative of um and uh and yeah it was just wild going from um from publishing privately to to just working on 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 some big projects because as you mentioned um it's been a year of trying to so all of the work that i've gotten has been through references and um mm -hmm. when i talk to someone um i have to be sort of very careful because the Either if someone approaches approaches me for a job, uh, they would they they will basically say, I mean, send me writing samples, right? And uh, most yeah. of what I send is is what I already had, um, and I, I also had to basically just craft new stuff specifically for that um, because I didn't have mm -hmm. published credits. Um, yeah. So and also like another thing is that you know it hasn't stopped. <laughs> So I haven't been able to actually like, I mean, you would say like, oh, just go to DMs Guild and publish something. What's the problem? But it, it oh, hasn't right. stopped. You're too busy. I haven't, yeah, I haven't yeah. been able to, to, to just like, I've been trying to, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's been wild and it's been obviously a, a privilege and a blessing. I, this is kind of like, uh, you know, while I recognize that it's the result of many years of work, I also realize mm -hmm. that this is not the norm, right? Like people, yeah. work hard for years to to get opportunities like this and i'm you know i'm i'm lucky to have people looking at my stuff um and and thinking it's good enough to you know to be brought into yeah. into these projects but yeah how has it been for you being a designer in mexico like do you find that that creates barriers is it harder to get recognized a little bit um it's I guess so one thing that happens to me very often is because I'm starting to get credits now, now that Arcadia is published and, um, you know, recently I was invited to, to do a panel for Big Bad Con speaking about, you know, the last year where I've been, when I've been freelancing um, and all of this is, is exposing me to sort of like new people. Right. And they see and know me from, um, from this work uh, that is in English and they follow me on Twitter and they see me posting in Spanish and they immediately unfollow. <laughs> so it's weird. <laughs> I'm kind of like stuck in, in, in like in between two worlds because obviously I don't want to stop posting in Spanish. I don't want to lose that part of the community. Um, but also like I'm actually getting to the point on my Twitter following um, where I think I'm about like 58% English followers at this point. So I'm, it's tipping oh, wow. towards, uh, towards English speaking people. So I have started doing something I've never did before, which is tweeting in English, um, just 
to try to to communicate with this community that that is sort of like um approaching me i guess it's almost like you need to account yeah but <laughs> to be infuriating yeah. and maddening and i wouldn't want that yeah it's hard because also like i'm not at a point where um like i don't have a super big following yet right i but but like mm -hmm. um if if this is one of the things where if i open a new account do I live this one for the English speaking people or do I get, do I do the new one for the English speaking people? Right. Like, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. Um, but, um, yeah, but I'm navigating it. Um, a lot of the folks that have, um, you know, a lot of the po folks that have seen my work and have approached me with comments have been very nice. Uh, like I would say like 90% of the experiences have been positive. Um, and, um, yeah, it's 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 kind of I'm still trying to navigate that um, that part of, of how like where do I go? Um, <laughs> I'm kind of like in the in the middle <laughs> right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's something that any Latinx yeah. designer streamer has to worry about. And especially as you start getting bigger in a in a English speaking market. Yeah which is the bigger market. That's the other thing is the money is in yeah, English, definitely. Right? And that's a hard thing for us to deal with because you and I have talked about this before. Like I would love to publish in Spanish. I know you would love to publish in Spanish, but right now the market is in a place where there aren't a lot of people buying things in yeah. Spanish, Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially on places like DMs Guild. But it's just, it, the, it's not there yet, that kind of culture or even the pricing that would work right. in different countries. And so it's very hard to establish that, which is a shame. And then it forces us to be living in an English world. Yeah, it's one of those things where I've, you know, I've been working on a personal project for, you know, the, the world that I mentioned, Exalva, we've been kind of like developing, developing that for as a setting uh, for about a year. It got delayed because of, you know, things, uh, life things as things do. But uh, um, it, yeah, we've been pondering that very question, right? Because I would like, honestly, in my heart, I feel like this product needs to be in Spanish, right? It has to be in Spanish. If it's not in Spanish, I'm going to, I'm going to hate myself. <laughs> However, like in order for it to be in Spanish, I first need to completely develop it in English, play test it multiple times, change everything that needs to be changed in English, because it's going to be a nightmare. If I, if I write it in both languages, I'm going to have to be basically maintaining two versions of the game. And that's, that's nightmarish. Um, and I'm one person. So <laughs> yeah. Twice yeah. The work, and you won't be able to charge twice. It, the exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, that's something that, you know, weighs heavily on my mind. And um, yeah, for sure. It's there. I, I, I understand that even with my, you know, the small adventure that my son and I wrote, we've been, you know, play testing it and all that kind of thing. And I would love to launch it in Spanish, but it's like, you know, how does it doesn't even work as a stretch goal. Like, Hey, American <laughs> English speaker, if you, back more yeah. i'll give it to you in a language you can't use wait that doesn't work you know? right so it's yeah it's it's kind of funny and it's like well and and also a lot of people who are good like to translate something into spanish yeah. you want to use the language of the game in right. spanish and if you think of it in english you know things like how we describe a saving throw or you know uh, half on a success that kind of thing all those words um, they have their counterparts in Spanish that are very specific. So you want somebody who knows right. that because you can't just literally translate it. You can't choose a translator. It's got to be a translator who knows D&D. Yep. So they're going to want to charge you a decent amount of money for that. Exactly. Which then is more than you can sell it for a lot of times. So it's very hard. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, you know, it's, it, it's a problem. And many, um, you know, even even still with all of those barriers, uh, right now, there's people like, uh, you know, making products in Spanish and uh, yeah. trying to sort of like grow that scene as much as possible. Um, and, um, you know, if I if I'm in, if I'm ever in a position where I have uh, the time uh, and sort of like the resources to just sort of like give this because being realistic, it would be giving something right because as you said it's not something that will uh at least at the beginning uh sort of pay off in a way um yeah. 
I'll definitely uh, want to do it. That is something that uh, many um, Latinx creators uh, do, I guess, because that's the way things are. But it's it's kind of it's kind of weird in a paradoxical way because you know it things are the way things are because the market is not big enough. The market is not big enough because people don't do things there uh, here or or you know in the language of Spanish. Um, so so yeah. I mean, I hope that changes now that Watsi is bringing the books. Um, it could really yeah. bring about a lot of changes. Yeah, yeah. So I'm hopeful too. Well, let's. I for sure want to talk about your article, which is called "Losing Our Religion," <laughs> and it presents subclasses for forsaken clerics and warlocks. And how did you come up with this idea of <laughs> clerics and warlocks that had literally lost the thing that defines yeah. them? Right, their connection to their deity or patron. Where, where did this come from? Um, I am just very contrarian when I play games. So like I'm the kind of player where it's like, hey, I want to play a cleric, but like I want to have a god. <laughs> no, but no, uh, to, to be to be honest with you, though, the idea, you know, began from one of our games, uh, one of uh, the games set in this world that I was creating, um, the world that I run and the games that I run. Uh, because it's based sort of in folk um, tales and mythology from Latin America, which has roots in in um, Aztec and and Maya myths, um, mm -hmm. like the gods for for um, that I run in my games are very fallible, um, and they are very um, they're not very kind of like approachable, and um, they screw up. A lot of times so uh the theme of people just looking at their god and, and going like i don't want to be friends anymore <laughs> has come up more than once uh, i'm no longer following yeah. you on god Twitter. yeah <laughs> so um yeah it, it it came a couple of times uh to the point where so um in the world that i was working um Basically, we have a continent that is very heavily and has been very heavily shaped by the gods. And then, you know, to counter that, uh, you know, in the larger world outside of Exalva, I made a distant land, which is only mentioned by name, uh, where basically people got fed up with the gods and uh, just uh, imprisoned them all in slumber. And they maintained them um, sleeping through faith. So they... Mm -hmm. um, they basically turn the faith against their gods. And now they, they, you know, clerics exist and are very important there, but they're important because they don't want their gods to sort of like get out of control. Um, and that was the, yeah. the source, like the, 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 the seed for the idea uh, for the article. Um, and, um, you know, I, I brought this to Arcadia because while working on our setting, this was something that wasn't very sort of like, as I said, it's kind of like an extended thing that is kind of in the background. Mm -hmm. And uh, we ne didn't really have a way to include it in the core product that we were working uh, on. So, you know, I when, when James approached me for a pitch, I sort of explained the idea to him and he liked it. So, it you know, mm -hmm. out of that sort of like single cleric idea uh all of the other ideas with the other cleric and the, the warlocks awesome. kind of like expanded yeah so we've got here um these are four subclasses two cleric two warlock uh the and, and then you have some example npcs and retainers which are part of the rules for strongholds and followers so the clerics include the anathema domain which is basically your deity uh, scorns you and expels you from the clergy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this causes you to have sort of like some neat things. Like you have, you have uh, uh, the, the idea of sort of being anti that religion in a lot of ways. So you can, your channel divinity is divine derogation and you can reduce healing and reduce radiant necrotic damage. Which is yeah. Cool. Someone, uh, some of the people that looked at it on Twitter, and that was my favorite part of it, by the way, like seeing people's reactions mm -hmm. and sort of like interpreting them. And one of them was like, this 
this is a guy so cursed that literally curses everyone around him and has learned to use them to his advantage. And that I love it. And it's, it's, it's amazing. That is the concept. It's someone that is literally cursed by the gods, but has learned to sort of like direct that anger in, in towards others. Um, and, and you can break the rules, right? You, you can dip into the forbidden teachings yeah. because you, you're no longer bound Correct, up. yeah. Uh, so you, a core thing you get is Bane as a bonus action, which is the reverse of the Bless spell. And then it gets stronger over time, which I really love because I like Bane anyway, but making Bane like easier and more powerful, oh, yeah. this, this is really great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, 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 the entire idea was kind of like uh, my, my initial concept, concept was an anti-bard. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I initially had it. So this class had its own kind of like cutting word C's type of situation. Uh-huh. Then I looked at Bane and I was like, I mean, that is very thematic of the cleric and doesn't get a lot of, um, you know, doesn't get a, to shine a lot unless you're playing sort of like a, an evilish or, or, you know, sinisterish cleric. So yeah, I wanted to turn that into. And then I really love this second concept, which is the atonement domain. So this is the idea that you're, you messed up and now you're trying to atone and sort of get back with through a second chance with your God. And I just think that's the best (laughs) role-playing concept. Yeah. Yeah. This one, I, I, I had to, this one kind of like came out of a need uh, to have a class for those who wanted to get like back on track. Right. I couldn't have everyone be like, uh, emo uh it's just anti-god so uh so this one the concept is basically that you either either your god sets sets you on a path of redemption and says like do this and then i'll forgive you or you approach another god which is a, a redeemer god to intercede for you mm-hmm. and um you know the the way that this class is presented it could be something that the player uses until they get back to the grace of their God mm-hmm. or something that they just, you know, they become uh, eternal seekers of redemption. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, really it's just cool. what they are now. So you have selfers reprieve, which is that when uh, you and other party members are affected by something and you would make a saving throw, you can just automatically fail and then grant one ally the chance to success. And this grows in power as you level. And then your channel divinity is shield of martyrdom, which has a reaction. You can take damage that would drop an ally. And that's very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Warlock options. So you have two here, the swindled and the compound. The swindled is, (laughs) this is such a warlock thing. (laughs) You stole power from your patron and you kind of know that your patron patron might come after you someday because you're kind of stealing the power. Yeah. You're not paying for cable. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly uh this so the warlock the warlocks i i the reaction that i saw to the warlocks was really divided uh and not in a bad way uh like uh, some people just really really gravitated to the swindle that was their favorite class in the whole article and some really gravitated to the compound um and some people even thought like hey i wish i wish the compound was what the warlock is like instead of having one patron you just make packs with with all all sorts of uh, entities, but yeah, this yeah the swindle is is you know this kind of like roguish roguish warlock, uh, which I think is one of the things that hasn't been war warlock has the thing where where they've they have room to emulate other classes and they've done that in the past, mm-hmm. uh, but they haven't touched on on um, you know roguish uh, archetypes so. Yeah, and, and what what I really like here is that sometimes when a class is like another class, like I'm thinking of the cleric when you, you're a nature right. cleric, um, it's kind of like, well, why not just play right. through it? Yeah, like what's what, what's you know what's the point here? Um, especially when you start getting spells that are like you know a druid, then it's like, well, what are we doing here? Uh, but this has you know constant thread through it of how you are doing this bad yeah. deed. <laughs> around magic and power and and so you have eldritch thieves tools which are great and they can reflect the nature of your patron so there's a lot of flavor here that explains that you're not just some rogue you're you're a different type of 
you know, scoundrel yeah. and swindler. Oh, I have a, a a story behind this class. Uh, I this class, well, the the whole idea behind the older thief tools, it basically um, it occurred to me when one of when one player who was uh, you know playing in one of our games, um, he was playing uh, an arcane trickster. Um, Love it. And mm-hmm. there was a magical trap that was very clearly just not mechanical. It was just a magic uh, contraption barrier. And he asked if he could use his thief tools to disarm it. And I was like, I mean, you're an eldritch thief. Yeah, just sure. I mean, <laughs> and and yeah, that sort of, I, I started thinking about yeah. like, what? I mean, that that's such a logical way. I mean, why why didn't they think of that when when the the yeah. um, arcane trickster was created? It's it's yeah. So I basically because it's not just some lock. Yeah, you, you're more correct. Than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how this was born. Yeah, and I like it. So you can um, even the spells that you access are things you're stealing from your patron. Yeah. Uh, you can disarm magical effects, which is what you're talking about. And then you gain a super-powered counter spell, which is really fun. That empowers you when you when you do it. You get temporary hit points and things like yeah. that. A lot of fun. Um, the compound, the second warlock subclass, as you said, you draw from multiple patrons instead of one, and you're sort of uh, yeah dipping into these different patronages. And the way this represented that that I see here is, is under Council of the Many. You can get a, gain a catalog or you build up a catalog of skills, tools, and weapons that represent all these multitudes of teachings from the different patrons. And you get to choose each time you take a long rest two of them that are that are active, which is a really neat idea. Yeah, yeah, and this this sort of um, reflects you. Um, speaking and conferring with different patrons right this is sort of like the way of mm-hmm. uh to represent this warlock having knowledge of all of these topics uh, at, uh you know at their um disposal but you know not available at all times um and i love i i'll just say that i, I love the the art that was made for this this class specifically yeah um yeah. you know i i commissioned the the you know, I, I made the, the the request for the art to be the way that it is, but I never. I mean, it it turned out beautiful. Like I never so sort good. of ima- imagined that it would turn out so good. Um, and um, you know, the art it's itself inspired the next um feature, which is monthly support. Uh huh. Because I couldn't have tiny entities on the art and then not make them into mechanics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's awesome i love it yeah so the idea that these and and the article kind of talks about how your various patrons like you you're maybe playing them off against one another and they're maybe like fighting each other the way that gods do right yeah so you're kind of pulling from these energies uh in amongst their sort of arguments but you can and they represent it as these like moats uh, that that these tiny entities and and then they can manifest as you get to higher levels. Yeah. So they can manifest and support you or support an ally, and then that uh, grows with power as you uh, get higher level. Like they can provide cover and things like that. Which is yeah, this cool. is the warlock that has a literal angel and a devil on their shoulder, and then many other mm-hmm. things around. <laughs> Yeah, and like one of them's elemental, or two of them are elemental, and one looks sort of fey yeah. and, and devilish, and yeah, it's really great. <laughs> All these different, and then a, maybe a stone elemental one. It's really really yeah. cool. Uh, and then the really like uh, kind of bizarre, awesome capstone is this partition mind, where at fourteenth level you can concentrate on two spells at one time, and that's a feature I've always wanted to see. I don't know if it's shown up anywhere else, but it, that's a really neat idea. I made a lot of research uh, for this, and I was um, divided on it. And also, like many of the people who have seen it, have been hesitant about it um, because I know uh, I think in the uh, Nunya Master's Guide, I think Wizards has like a line which is "Do not mess with concentration; it'll break the game." <laughs> <laughs> However, um, you know, I, looking at the spells that a warlock gets, um, you know, especially specifically the spells that are chosen for this warlock to to uh, be able to conjure, and um, just in general the warlock spell list, 
Um, it didn't feel broken at all. And the fact that you still have to make concentration checks for both uh, spells, um, uh, that sort of, I think, balances it out. Uh, you know, it went through playtesting. The playtesters play thought it was okay. Um, mm-hmm. But still, many people are hesitant because of that of, of that line. Uh, apparently, sure. I'm breaking Crossing some <laughs> some sacred that's oath. That's 14th level. I mean, <laughs> to me, that's yeah. perfect. Um yeah, and so then we have two really neat NPCs with, with neat backstories. Um, one is a scorned dwarven cleric, sort of an anathema pa- uh, domain. And then Rusio Sabhar, who is a uh, half-elf swindler warlock. Yes. Uh, really neat. So you get those stat blocks that you can use as NPCs. And then if you're playing with the strongholds and followers uh, rules, you can use these retainers that uh, you can employ, which is really cool. Uh, you get what, four there that can also be used. Which is yeah, really and, uh, uh, you know, this is kind of like getting into the ground, ground of your next question, but I'll, I'll just say right now, like uh, working with James, it, it was it was just such an amazing experience because originally my pitch for the article was just the classes. And then I think I initially pitched two classes and then I was like, uh, James, I think we need, I, I think I expanded this, this to four. Is it okay? And he was like, yeah, it's totally fine. And then he saw the classes and um, he was like, hey, do you want to write NPCs and followers? And I was like, sure. Yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yes. Uh, so, um, you know, the NPCs are basically extensions of the concept and just trying to show what um, the... I guess what what the origin of one of these classes could be, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think it's um, I don't think it's mentioned anywhere in the article. But like uh, Misiri, the the NPC Misiri is the art the, the default art for the Anathema uh, cleric, mm-hmm. and uh, Rusio is the art for the Swindled uh, Warlock. So um, yeah, yeah, and all, you know, and moving through to the followers, it was really neat just. Uh, playing with that concept i had personally never touched that part of um uh, of the design i had played with yeah. uh you know the classes that 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 they were doing the ill rigor and stuff like that but i had never moved into the followers uh, part of of mtdm yeah. and yeah. yeah looking at it and trying to come up with you know neat interactions in there was awesome yeah the signature yeah. attack and the special actions and yeah it's neat they're neat rules um so and I agree with you. It's it's great working with MCDM. They're it, collaborating is fantastic. But how about designing subclasses in general? Do you find subclasses to be hard, easy? Like I find them to be hard. I, I guess it depends. Um, I, I I just move up and down on on it. I so when I start on, on them, I go through a process which is like what is missing right and this is like am i creating something that already exists um and if so can i bring that into the class like is this a spell or is this already a feature from another class is it a feat um and then you know trying to do new stuff is hard just in general and and trying to basically go through that process is difficult until you find something that clicks and it's like hey i mean Maybe you don't have to reinvent the wheel, uh, which is like, you know, in in, in the example of the anathema domain, um, you know, you can just reflavor a spell and make it very cool. And that is a class, right? Um, um, and yeah, so basically I, I think the beginning, the concept sort of like stage is hard. Um, but the way that I do it or the way that I think about it is always story first uh before the mechanics even make sense and so when i have the story and the concept the mechanics soon follow after right um i yeah i don't think i don't know if i have had this talk with you before uh i remember having it with someone else but i can't remember so i i think of the rules of the game 5e in in particular as kind of like a programming language, right? Which is like, once you know the words uh, for the rules of the game and you know what you want to do, you'll eventually get there. There's, you know, there's going to be a lot of like debugging along the way, which is like, oh, yeah. nope, this is yeah. this is wrong. This, this is not working and stuff like that. But eventually, you know, if you know where you want to get, uh, where you want to get to, get to um, 
you'll get there if you know the 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 words and, and the rules of the game, which is, I guess, um, yeah, the way that I do it. Um, That's really wise. So, uh, how are what are your current streaming projects that you are doing? Oh, streaming wise, we are uh, on the last. Um, well, first, I want to say that streaming, I still do in Spanish, um, basically. I, it's kind of tiring just in general um, to sort of like, specifically in, in, in role-playing scenarios, because the shows tend to be like two to three hours, maybe four hours long. It's very tiring to just like constantly be uh, turn, uh, turning my brain in English. Like we talked at the beginning of the stream that how, how difficult that is. But um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, so I do only Spanish for now. I don't know if that's going to change in the future, but what, what I have right now is we are, we have a game on Thursdays, which is, uh, we're going through, uh, descending to Avernus right now, heavily modified for 15th level characters that we've been carrying around since level one. Um, and, uh, we are in the last part of that adventure. It's gonna sneer in the finale, um, and we have Tres Alvas on Saturdays, which is also like coming to a close very soon. Um, yeah. And yeah, those are the two just major things that I have right now. And do you have thoughts for what you'll do after those shows yet? I don't yet. Um, mm -hmm. I have some things on the table, but I, 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 you know, I'm at a point where I need to sort of like... Um, you know, where before the the shows were, you know, the focus of what I was doing. Uh, right now, I'm at a point where is if I have to sort of like organize um, people and sort of like try to schedule everyone so that everyone makes it. Um, it's it's kind of hard. So um, yeah. while I would like to sort of like organize a new thing uh, with new players and and something, uh, you know, um, completely. Um, I guess new to repeat the word. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of hard for me at the moment, but I guess we'll see where where I am next year. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. Work. Yeah. Um, how about on the design side? Uh, is there anything that you can announce currently, or is everything secret? <laughs> well, James <laughs> spoiled my next article for a kid. Well, he didn't spoil it. He made me spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah well he, when uh, we had the the designer talk on the uh, on Matt Colva's channel uh, the other day and he he just revealed that I was working on something else for them um and uh yeah I'm doing another article it's also very long <laughs> it's a lot of stuff uh it's also this one is kind of like more story focused I wanted to sort of like mm you know, do something different than, than, um, mm -hmm. you know, the very mechanically focused classes. So this one is more story focused and it's, it's inspired by, uh, the movies of Guillermo del Toro. Um, cool. and yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be good. It's going to be creepy. And, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, well, people who have seen it so far have, uh, are digging it. So yeah, I hope people like it. Cool. Um, and other things, you know, I have worked uh, on something for Watsi. I'm not allowed to say what it is yet. Uh, it's coming out next year. And it's going to be good. Awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. great. Uh, it's so good. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. That's really neat. Uh, I, I, and I'm happy for you. And I'm happy also for other people who will look at that and go like, all right, it's possible, oh. right? The dream is out there. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. First of all, for singing my praises when, when you mentioned in, uh, you know, at the beginning, I think you were one of the first to actually see sort of like stuff that I was doing. And, uh, you know, when we were working on that, uh, thing for the behold beholder, we, I, I sort of, yeah. I was very hesitant just in general. I mean, I'm, I'm still, I still am just, showing people sure. uh things um that i've done are uh, you know and and that i've haven't shown any anybody else it gets easier over time but it's never nothing <laughs> yeah. yeah no you're always wondering what yeah. are they gonna say <laughs> exactly they think? yeah 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 and how about Onyx Alba? Like, how are you, or do you continue to work on that campaign setting with the idea of someday releasing it and kickstarting? Yeah, we, so 
Exalva is is basically something that I'm like doing as an ongoing thing. Uh, I, I basically, you know, I we have the base of what the game is going to be. Um, I basically just need to finish the minutia, I guess. And um, mm-hmm. from the text side, it's pretty much ready to be sort of like kickstarted. I, I, I guess, like mm-hmm. you know, not like kickstart, and then we'll give you the product the, the day that it's funded. Like, <laughs> like you <laughs> well, yeah. only, only Ian World yeah. does that. <laughs> but um, but no, I mean, it, it's it's at a point where if we do a kickstart, we'll have something significant to show about the product, and and um, it's it's pretty um, advanced in terms of of that for the campaign itself. Um, yeah. we, you know, the barriers right now for it is that we're still looking, we're still finishing the art, um, which is kind of like a, a big initial investment for it. And that, yeah. um, that cost is being handled by, uh, my publisher, which is Miguel Espinosa, who successfully did a, a Kickstarter campaign in the past for Nagual, another Mexican RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was the one who approached me, um, to start, you know, writing this officially um, and basically removing any excuse that I had for <laughs> for why I'm not publishing. Now you yeah. do it. <laughs> so he was like, you just write, I'll take care of everything. And I was like, okay. So yeah, he's the one, um, you know, covering that. And, and um, also um, Marisa uh, from um, Magpie Games is, is the one handling art direction. Uh, she's been amazing. Awesome. Um, she has brought in a very talented artists and already have, has shown us some, um, pictures that, uh, you know, are, are awesome. And, and, you know, once everything, everything related to that of the visual side of the campaign, which is very important is, is taken care of, I guess we'll, we'll move on to, to show it. I'll let you know, you'll be the first to know once awesome. it's out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, and and that's a good question. How can people find you and keep track of your work in whichever language or yeah. both? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess if you want to follow my projects, uh, what I'm doing in writing and when things get published, you can follow me on Twitter as Elwarius. Um, and uh, if you want to see my streams in Spanish, uh, you can find me on Twitch as Elwarius as well. Cool. That's E L W A R. I-U-S. Yeah, I, I thought about spelling uh, it, but I was like, what if I'm wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why I did Thank it. So you. if I messed up, you could say, no, wait, no. that's wrong. Um, yeah. Um, fantastic. Thanks so much for being on the show and stepping in for Thank Sean you. on short notice. Greatly appreciated. Wonderful job in Arcadia. And I am super looking forward to the next things that you. Uh, Thank you. It was lovely to be here. And, uh, you know, always a pleasure to talk to you. And, and, uh, yeah. Same. Hopefully we can we can chat Hopefully again. We can play together yeah. Soon. All right. Take care. All right.